Welcome to the On a Mission. On a Mission. The On a Mission podcast. You've got one of the best jobs in the world. I have to say, you've had some really astounding guests. You're generally a force for good. You are the truth warrior. Dale Pinnock, welcome to the On a Mission podcast. We made it at last. We made it for a time lucky. <laughs> it's taken some effort, hasn't it? It really has. You know what? We're persistent, if nothing else. Tenacious. Tenacious. That's us. Resilient. Tenacious. Yes. Determined. Yes. Here we are. What a start. It's only downhill from here. <laughs> but you know what? I've been obviously doing my homework. We've been in the same circles for a couple of years now. Mm-hmm. Very much known who you are. You've got a massive social media following. You're like a figurehead for the health and nutrition space. You're a TV presenter, Sunday Times best-selling author to 20 books, which I just think is incredible. You've been in a random West End musical. But I <laughs> think by far the thing that I want to discuss with you, first and foremost, above all else, is the fact that you, I have it on good authority, were singing under the boardwalk, half pissed with the Backstreet Boys. This is actually true. Yeah. Is it true? Yes, it's true. So um, it's on the, the the Gabby Rossley show on BBC London. Gabby's a good friend of mine. And um, certainly before COVID, I mean, the format's, ch- format's changed a little bit now. The show used to be a massive party. The whole thing was a massive party. You would get people from the music industry, you get people from TV, there'd be a chef, there'd be a mixologist, everyone in the studio together, drinking cocktails, talking about their career, live music, and it just gradually warms up as the show goes on. This one was... Um, a weekend around Wimbledon. So she had the Backstreet Boys in there and uh, a mixologist making Wimbledon-themed cocktails. And everyone liked them so much, he just kept making them and kept bringing them in. So everyone in the studio, even the production team, were getting a little bit toasty. And then we had this big sing-along and, yeah, got on the mic with the Backstreet Boys singing under the boardwalk. Oh, wow. Probably sounded like, um, you know, a cat being spayed without anaesthetic, but they sounded okay. But it was that same show, actually, that, that... led to me get it going into the Monty Python Spamalot musical as well. So what role did you play in I that? I played Sir Not Appearing, right? So it's like this cameo role. I have different people from like TV and media and stuff every night playing this role. It's a single line part. It's a part of the show where King Arthur's introducing all of his knights. It's like, Sir Galahad, Sir Bedivere, and they'll come and do their pose. It's like, and finally, the aptly named <laughs> Sir Not Appearing in this show. And you walk out in a suit of armour that doesn't belong to that historical period. Nothing about you belongs to the story. You just walk on stage, look at everyone, look at the audience, go, sorry, and walk off. That's it. But it's become like this kind of cult thing. Like Keith Lemon did it the night before I did. Denise Lewis did it a couple of nights before. It was brilliant. Was that so just, much fun. Was, gonna say, was it an aspiration of yours? How did it actually materialise? <laughs> no, it was just an accident. It was just like, <laughs> uh, uh, Joe Pasquale is a good friend of mine and he was playing King Arthur at the time. And he was on that show that same day on, on BBC London. And me and him were just just sat in the green room reciting Monty, Monty Python sketches to each other, like the parrot sketch and all the rest of it, painting for the fjords. And the the producer of the the show was there, and he's like, "We need to get him into Sir Not Appearing," and that was it. And so it happened. Wow, you know, Gabby's show sounds very similar to how I got started mm. pre on a mission podcast during lockdown. Uh, this is going to sound really woo-woo, actually, but it is a God's honest truth. I was doing a meditation. I was doing a TM meditation. Mm. I'd only just been introduced to TM meditation just before the lockdown and haven't been practising it very much recently. But at the time, I was doing it twice a day religiously. Got a lot of value from it. And during one of my meditations, which was also a great opportunity for me to like escape the chaos of the, the three kids 
down the stairs. I think I was having a particularly stressful day during lockdown when, in fact, actually, I remember it. I'm just going to digress slightly. <laughs> I remember trying to do, I was doing a Zoom with Kira, who's my marketing assistant. Mm-hmm. Well, she's she's my marketing, everything, podcast manager. She's like a jack of all trades. And uh, things have been going quite well. I've been quite enjoying the whole lockdown experience. The weather was quite nice. We were just um, focusing on the things that were within our control and enjoying having a bit more family time. My husband had converted one of the spare rooms into an office because obviously we couldn't get out to the office at that point. But this one particular day, my son Sammy, he was too not quite uh, potty trained yet. And he was crawling around or walking around, running around, whatever he was doing with his nappy on and I remember in the kitchen I've got the Zoom the kids have been absolutely fine the second I got on the Zoom I'm like I've got this multitasking we can do this I remember he basically (laughs) turned around and he stripped his nappy off there was poo all over him all over his body all over his hands all over my walls he's running around like laughing and touching everything with his pooey hands and anyway I, I remember that there, there is a bit of a, a link back to the story if you wonder why I'm telling tenuous, you this yeah. very very tenuous like most of my stories to be fair um, there's always just one big open loop but he um, anyway I'm chasing him around to like try and stop him destroying my house this is all whilst the Zoom's going live um, you know Kira's on the other end of it and, and I'm running and as I'm running he grabs like my really expensive like chandelier style lamp knocks it over glass goes absolutely everywhere and it was quite funny because my husband had just nipped to like the little Tesco's petrol station garage which used to do you know just just whatever you melt your bread etc etc to get something a can of beans or something like that everything had been totally cool by the time he comes back about 10 minutes later he's like I can't do this anymore (laughs) but anyway I, I went to do my meditation and during this meditation I came up with the idea of doing the Sunday series which was online interviews with Mm. people who were further down the path I wanted to travel to as a way of building relationships and connecting and um, because I was missing the sort of energy of in-person and events and it was a way just to stimulate my own brain I didn't really anticipate it would go the way it has done with the podcast etc but the USP to that at the time was it was a Sunday night with a glass of wine in my hand it was a bit more of a chat show informer mm-hmm. like informal style which I didn't realise that you know Joe Rogan and people like that have been doing that for years to me this was a Tim really Tim Ferriss did the wine chats didn't he yeah, did yeah, he yeah. oh you see yeah. I'm, th- I'm thinking I've like invented this whole concept <laughs> but it was quite funny because you tend to I don't I don't know if it's just me but you match people's drinking pace sometimes without realising you're doing it it's probably some NLP thing so when you've got people who or just having a, a token drink to humour you, then that's absolutely fine. You get through the whole interview, you only had a couple of sips of wine. But one of my friends came on and we were doing it. Liz, she's their business partner of mine. And, and I remember I must have had two or three large glasses of wine throughout the course of this interview. And the uh, the profanity started creeping up. Exactly. And, going, and another thing, funky name, funky name. <laughs> and I had my mum messaging me during the interview going, look, I really enjoy the content, but can you please, you know, represent, represent yourself in a, yeah. a bit more of a professional manner because uh, the language is... Because dropping sea bombs on a Sunday <laughs> just isn't cutting it. Yeah, yeah. It's always like, well, like with uh, Gabby's own. Probably not sea bombs. I mean, I never get booked again. But, <laughs> <laughs> but no, yeah, yeah, probably not to that extent. Street, but it's, it's just it's just great fun you know you've got like amazing icons performing live music and you know people from from the the small and the large screen in there and loads of food it's just great yeah what, love those kind of shows i was going to say what part of what you do do you enjoy the most because wow. you, you you sort of teach people you're reaching hundreds of thousands of people millions of people through your books there's so many different facets to yeah. it with the tv work where do you get the most satisfaction teaching 
without a doubt. As soon as I start speaking about the subject, it's like it immediately ignites me. Um, I, 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 I do a lot of media stuff. TV, live TV, it doesn't matter how many... I've done it hundreds and hundreds of times. Still shit myself every single time. Yeah. Every single time. But that's kind of part of what gives you gives you the energy. Live radio, I love it. That's one of my favourite mediums. I can sit there and natter on the radio all day. It doesn't bother me. Um, <clears throat> although I still remember the first time I, I, I went live on radio too. That was kind of a... Oh, hi, hello. I kind of listened to it back. And <laughs> the I mean, that, that's 2008, I think. Um, but teaching. Teaching is the thing that really brings me to life so whenever I do live sessions with my students because I've got a nutrition school and I've got a couple of courses that um that are more sort of mainstream I always do live sessions once a month as soon as I start talking about the subject the energy that I get from it it kind of makes me feel like a 10 year old again it's brilliant really yeah yeah it really gives me that sparkle writing books I, I can I'm with writing I can just it's just something I can do it's just something I can do very easily it, it comes easily to me um, but but there's a difference between doing something and doing it well, and you've obviously done it very well to yeah, get into yeah. the Sunday Times bestselling authors list repeatedly. Seven times, I'd say. Wow, yeah. wow. Yeah, which is good. Uh, yeah, it's just it's, even at school, it was a skill that that was always one of my strongest. Mm-hmm. You know, English and science, my strongest subjects. So kind of it's married up quite well. But there again, like the the academic side, I I didn't <clears throat> I didn't really go the traditional route. I. I was doing my GCSEs in the 90s and in the 90s I was more into um, going raving and running pirate radio stations and doing all, <laughs> all that kind of stuff. And I just mucked about school because I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was just kind of lost. Um, so academically I was quite low down. I had to really catch up. I had to do an access course mm. but then I ended up with two degrees and a master's. So I caught up in the end. But there were certain skills that seemed to have followed me into this line of work that just came naturally, thankfully. And indirectly, it was because of your acne and health problems yeah, I, that set you off on this path. I think most it? people that find nutrition and wellness do so because of their own health challenges. I mean, there's not many people that are at school just like, yeah, I want to work with broccoli. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to tell people to, you know, eat more fibre and stuff like that. It's not really that... Although, weirdly, it's become an aspirational thing now, but we can talk about that later. But I had quite bad acne from the age of about 10 or 11. It was the summer of leaving primary school to go up to secondary school. All of a sudden, broke out like a mofo. I looked like I'd been shot in the face with a blunderbuss. It was awful. And I went to so many different practitioners and specialists and dermatologists. I had the oral antibiotics, I had the topical antibiotics, this weird stuff called dallasin that used to look like a prit stick and be like... All over, all over the affected areas. And nothing really made that much of a difference. It was minor changes here and there. Got to 15 years old, sat around at my friend's house, feeling sorry for myself, moping because my skin looked awful and didn't want to go out and didn't want anyone to see me. And his mum just came along and gave me this book. And it's a book called Fit for Life by Harvey Diamond. Proper old school 80s diet classic, cult book it was at the time. And she said, look, unless, unless you look after what's going on on the inside, nothing will change on the outside. And this was in 1992, right? So the, the internet didn't exist, let alone social media, let alone like all of these kind of wellness influences. That, that world was, wasn't even conceived yet. So I was kind of like, okay. But to be fair, if someone said, look, what you need to do to clear this is 
wrap yourself in tinfoil on a full moon and run out in the garden at midnight and it'll clear it, I'd have done it. I was desperate. I was ready to try anything. Can I, I just say, you know, on that point, I don't know if you remember the uh, Full Monty, the film from, I don't know if it was released in the 90s, but I remember after that there was a scene in it, and I forget the names of the characters, but the guy was a bit overweight and he was wrapping himself in cling film. In cling to film. Yeah, 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 yeah. I remember trying that. <laughs> to, try, like, to sort of spot reduce stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I re- yeah, I read this thing cover to cover in a, in, in a weekend and that's when I had that light bulb moment. I realised that I wasn't passive in the process. There was things that I could do for myself every single day to actively engage in my own healthcare. And that, that was the thing that really started it. I, I started changing my diet dramatically, uh, read over a thousand books over a period of a couple of years. I was a total nerd with it. That's kind of my personality anyway. When I get into something, I'll just go okay. down the rabbit hole at ridiculous levels. And... Yeah, I was like, well, nothing else has really captivated me in the same way. So that's when I decided to actually go and make a career of it. But then I was like, oh, fuck, I didn't do any work at school. I need to go back back and catch up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but at least you were going into further education for the right reasons. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. I think so many people go to university because they think that they should do. Yeah. And some some of the degrees, like, you know, degree in leisure and tourism, that's like fast track to Tesco isn't it usually it was uh, media studies when I was around and I think statistically at that point there was more people graduated in the UK with a media studies degree don't tell me ask me why I remember this bit of trivia but there was more people graduating every year with a media I think it was just in England media studies degree in England than there were jobs in the whole of Europe at that point which was was absolutely crazy but having done Mm. the further education route do you feel that it's necessary in order to be taken seriously within the industry? For certain careers, absolutely. <clears throat> um, For your career? 100%. Okay. 100%. Also, it's really complicated. You know, mm-hmm. nutritional science is, in, it, it's, it's, a, it's a biomedical science. Mm. And you have to have that base level understanding. If you want to do it well, any, any Muppet can turn around and say, well, like, eat more green vegetables. It's like, oh. Bloody hell, that's that's profound, Columbo. What else you got for me? Um, but to, to really get into the nuances, and because I, I actually work with clients one-to-one, I get people coming into my clinic that are really unwell, that are on a multitude of different medications. You need to understand the medications. You need to understand the contraindications, interactions. You need to understand the full pathophysiology and etiology of the disease or cluster of conditions that they will actually present with you need to be able to unpack all of that can i just ask you though deal from based on what you're saying there should you not be working in more synergy really with general practitioners and the healthcare professionals i I, I get a lot of doctor referrals right yeah I, I, i get a lot of doctor referrals because i kind of specialize more in metabolic health people that have got like high cholesterol that just won't shift people that have got hypertension type 2 diabetes centralized obesity like that 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 weight gain around the waist that just won't shift no matter how, what exercise you do all of those kind of things that's what I, I work with most of the time in my practice and I do get a lot of uh, GP referrals but weirdly when I was doing my masters most of the other students on that course were either GPs or gastroenterologists I think mm. most you know obviously you've had my good friend Asim on here I think there's there's a lot of doctors that have realized over the last 10 years or so that their role is very specific in in, in acute scenarios like if i go outside here now and get hit by a bus i don't want to see broccoli you know i want morphine and quickly in that kind of setting that acute setting medicine Mm. is miracle work stitching people back together but it's it's become crystal clear that a lot of the sort of degenerative disease that is 
taxing our healthcare system because I mean like you know now we're outside of the COVID madness you look at what's actually burdening the NHS apart from the NHS itself but you know in terms of the actual what people are presenting with the biggest burden in the healthcare system it is type 2 diabetes Mm -hmm. cardiovascular disease obesity and many avoidable cancers and these all relate back to lifestyle essentially and that's not pointing the finger that's not trying to say oh you know you should know better you've got it wrong the whole environment is screwed. You know, we're in an environment where it's very easy to make poor choices. For some people, it's the only choice they have is to make poor choices. And I think a lot of doctors realised that they weren't winning that war. You know, just by prescribing drugs, it wasn't actually achieving what they wanted to achieve. It wasn't making people better. Yeah, it was stopping them dying early, but it wasn't making them better. But so, is, is this a lack of education from the doctors? Because obviously general practitioners are just that. They're very uh, generalist. Well, a, a GP really is a gatekeeper. Mm. They're, they're a diagnostician. They're, they're someone that, that looks for red flags and knows where, where to refer on to. Um, I, w- I wouldn't go as far as to say it's a lack of education. I think there's an assumption that that GPs are ignorant to nutrition, and I would say far from it, because they can they can clearly see the impact of diet and lifestyle on people's health and people that are following healthy diets and healthy lifestyles and looking at all their markers in comparison to people that are not. So they understand it. It's whether they have time to actually train in it as, as a specialism, which would actually give them the legal leeway to be able to use it in their practice. Because obviously there's so... There's so so many governing bodies and so much strict regulation in terms of the advice that they give and how they work and, and what they incorporate into their practice. They would have to take time out to train in it in order to be able to do that. A lot do, like I was saying on the Masters, like most of, most of the fellow students were GPs. But I think dietary advice and referring on to people such as myself is becoming far more common in, in GP practices now. Why do you think that this is still such a big issue when there is so much education around it? I know you were saying like back in the day when you first showed an interest in this subject, it was almost taboo, really. It wasn't very trendy. It it wasn't heard of, but natural health, health and well-being, preventative medicine, nutrition, these are hot topics now and they have been for some time, but yet obesity seems to be more prevalent than ever. Yeah, it's a very tricky one to, to... unpack and I'd love to just have the answer because it would make my work so much easier yeah it would be a problem that we could solve very very simply it's a multitude of things and I think it's worth addressing each one we we've kind of gone the opposite end from from the days when I got into this there is so much information now that so many people are just completely overwhelmed and they're like oh sorry I'm just gonna go down Mackie D's I can't be bothered I'll just you know I'm trying to do this and then this person says it wrong this person says it's right this person says I shouldn't even go anywhere like even be in the same room as broccoli what do I do nothing sorry that's got a lot to do with it and you know in going back to what you said like is it essential to train at that high level because there's people that haven't trained at that high level giving advice it does lead people to be confused. So a little message for anyone is always make sure you're getting your advice from someone that's actually, that actually knows what the hell they're talking about. You know, rather than someone, someone that's, that's, someone can be a really amazing inspirational enthusiast and that's great, but obviously just realise that they're, that that's what they are. So if, if you're, if you're really unwell and you really want to look at diet and lifestyle as part of your treatment protocol, make sure you go to a practitioner that's actually a qualified practitioner. Well, you, you can take the meat without the bones. You know, people might listen to 
what we're discussing today and take some golden nuggets from yeah, yeah. it, but they're not necessarily going to implement everything. But going back to the point you made there about the conflicting information, within my circle of what I would consider relatively healthy people, when I say mm. relative, I'm, I'm talking actually really healthy, some of them, not, not all of them, but um, high performance people, you know, getting up at half four every morning doing the gym and things. I'm not in that category myself yet. But mm. I've got some that are on the carnivore diet, that are regularly getting their bloods done. They're having all the top supplements. They've got, um, you know, they're performing really well in all their yep. tests and results and things. And then equally, I've got people that are fully plant-based, that are athletes, that again appear to be at the top of their game. And one of them's telling me not to eat vegetables and the other one's telling me not to eat meat. Now, ethics aside, yeah. whether or not you agree with mm -hmm. eating animals, because that's mm -hmm. a completely separate conversation. Yeah. From a health perspective, I find that, and I'm surrounded by people like yourself, thankfully, who are really educated, really well-informed, but even I find it confusing. Well, if you look at you, you look at the, the fact that there are so many different approaches to diet, like you said, I mean, the, the two opposite ends of the spectrum, carnivore and plant-based. Yeah. And then everything in between, like you've got paleo, you've got macrobiotic, you've got raw. All of them are dramatically different from one another, yet all of them... Hey guys, it's Ellie, and I'm super excited to share that I'm partnering up with one of my favourite brands, AG1 by Athletic Green. I'm asked all the time about the one thing that I do to take care of my health. And in reality, there's so many to choose from. But if I could only pick one, it would be Athletic Greens because it ticks so many boxes. Life can get pretty hectic. As a busy mum of three, I know firsthand how easy it is to let your nutrition slip, especially when you're always on the go or traveling. It's easy to neglect the thing that's the most important to us, and that's our health. Since I started taking AG1, it's been a game changer. My energy levels have been through the roof, my hair and skin feel amazing, my digestion's improved, and I'm even sleeping better. It's a real deal. The ingredients are sourced from the highest quality producers from around the world. But what I love most about it is that all my nutritional bases are covered with one scoop. 75 high quality vitamins, minerals and probiotics, which means it's replaced a ton of other supplements I was previously taking. It's my secret weapon. It helps me show up as the best version of myself every single day, all from adding one simple habit. But don't just take my word for it. If you're looking for a simpler and cost-effective supplement routine, Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Go to athleticgreens.com forward slash on a mission. That's athleticgreens.com forward slash on a mission. Check it out. Do seem to lead to these incredible health transformations. And for most people, they're like, what? What? How? It just doesn't make sense. But there is one single factor that unifies every single one of those. And that is that all of those approaches to diet all leave out the crap that's making us sick in the first place. None of them are built around ultra-processed food. None of them are saying, like, right, okay, so your diet now is going to be pizza and Stella, okay? None of them are saying that. All of them, even, even though the, the, the composition on the plate might be dramatically different, all of them are built around whole foods. Mm -hmm. they're, they're built around foods that are designed for humans. And they cut out the crap that's actually driving sickness in the first place. And ultimately, as unsexy and unglamorous 
as that is, that is the key take-home message. It's like, whilst there are a million and one different potential nuances to this, whilst there are, of course, genetic differences between all of us and we might need to tweak things here and there, the ultimate approach is to just get back to basics. Mm. Just get back to a whole foods diet, fruit, veg, nuts, seeds, whole grains, healthy proteins, healthy fats, healthy proteins. These could well be a steak or it could be tofu or tempeh whatever your ethical stance is, whatever your preference is, but just getting back to those basics of whole foods is 99% of the battle won. And then the remaining 1% is just how our unique genetics determine the variation within that that whole food picture. Really powerful what you said there, actually, because I think a lot of us, myself included, we tend to go all in. And sometimes that can mean running before you can walk. So before we fixate on whether we want to go plant-based or carnivore, we need to be mastering the basics. And this applies to a lot of things in life. It's like, are you ticking all the other boxes, the foundations? Because most of us are building on a house of cards, really, aren't we? We need to get those foundations right. So... What advice would you give anyone listening to this who is, I don't know, perhaps feeling a little bit overwhelmed? Because I think it was 2019, I went to a Tony Robbins event, Unleash the Power Within, and it was fantastic, really transformational in a lot of ways. But this was early 2019 and I was still battling with depression and, you know, lots of other issues that were going on at the time. And as much as I took quite a lot of actionable things in terms of the mindset that really helped to make a positive improvement for my life. By the time it got to the health and fitness day, they dedicate a full day to it then, uh, or, or they did back then. I, it was a bridge too far. It was mm. I was so detached from the reality that the those gurus, if you like, and they were all fantastic, <coughs> phenomenal, inspirational speakers. But because at that point, you know, I love nothing more than to binge out on a full pizza and a bottle of wine. I still would, truth be told. But, you know, my, my lifestyle then, I wasn't really exercising. I wasn't even drinking filtered water. I didn't, you know, I, I didn't understand anything at all about health and fitness. And you're listening to these experts describing a life that is almost alien to where you're at. And Going back to a point you made earlier, actually, Dale, it was almost a case of, you know what, that's way too much. There's nothing that I'm doing in my life that's correct from the the soaps that I use to the makeup that I put on to the sprays that we use in the house to the water I'm drinking to the food mm. to absolutely everything that it was almost overwhelmed. So I was paralyzed into inaction. And it wasn't really until a couple of years later that I felt my mental health was in a place where I could consume more information. Yeah. Does and that make bizarre, sense? Bizarrely, one of the one of the biggest things to support mental health is is diet and lifestyle. So it's cyclical. I come across this all of the time and I always have the same approach when I'm working with people. It's just like it can be incredibly overwhelming and you know what if you're trying to go from like you know living the kind of normal the standard uk diet to like a super healthy diet and you try to do it all in one go only about two percent of people will ever be able to sustain that because it's so much of a dramatic shift i will say to people change one thing mm-hmm. it's, it's like the whole concept of, of habit stacking it's the same yeah. same difference really it's like right change one thing choose one thing that you know that you can realistically change whether this is okay i'm gonna make sure that I snack on fresh fruit instead of chocolate during the day. I'm going to make sure I have one good dense salad a day. I'm going to make sure that one of my meals is a home-cooked meal. Whatever. One single thing that you know that you can do realistically that's not going to be too much of a 
too much of a head fuck or too much of a, a complex task to actually realistically execute. And then do it. Keep everything else the same. Don't worry about everything else. Just keep doing this one thing. As soon as that starts to become the norm, keep doing it, but then add another thing. Think, right, okay, what other thing can I change? And then keep that process going over and over again. And that might seem like baby steps. And certainly for people that are kind of wired like us, we, you know, we want to be all in it straight away. But for most people, you know, we're, like, we're not like most people, right? There's not, there's not many people that want to throw themselves into things. They want to just do this in a comfortable way. So it may seem like baby steps. But when you look back over six or 12 months, you realise that your diet and lifestyles change considerably. Mm -hmm. But that transition period has been much more comfortable. You've learned a lot more about yourself and the, you know, the little things that get in the way. And there's more chance of you actually being able to make that stick. I always find that when people take that route, it's far easier for them just to just to kind of stay the game. Mm. Yeah, because it's it, it's a, a much more painless approach and it's a realistic approach. Sustainable and it's yeah. the small incremental steps that compound into the massive changes. But we see it every year with the gym. I always use this example, you know, they're dead in December. You can't get near a machine in January, <laughs> yeah. gets to mid-February and... and it's dead again, yeah. It, it, yeah, yeah, absolutely. But a lot of that is because most people feel... They've gorged out over Christmas. They're feeling yeah. very gluttonous. They're craving the broccoli and water. And they go straight in for, right, I'm going to do five sessions a week. I'm going to go on this juice diet. Mm -hmm. I'm going to have mm -hmm. nothing but a thousand calories a day for the next 10 years. Yeah. And my life's going to be fantastic. Whereas actually the, um, the smaller changes like you were just referencing are actually a lot more sustainable but the other thing that you do very well deal and I think that sets you apart from a lot of people in this space is your ability to chunk down very complex issues with a lot of very complex terminology when you're not speaking to layman's like myself mm. and relating it in a way that people who are not familiar with the the wording they're not familiar with the, the yeah. science they're not familiar with any of it really can digest and actually there's something tangible and actionable you can yeah. take away from it yeah I, I one of my pet hates is when things are dumbed down and working working in the media a lot this is something i hear all the time it's like oh can't you just make it a lot a lot more simple it's like listen people don't want stuff that's dumbed down people are dying for answers people want clarity they want to understand but at the same time you're not going to give them clarity and understanding if you just sit there and and talk about you know biochemical pathways and mm. you know all of this kind of terminology that means nothing to them if you can put it in a way where you're not dumb, dumbing anything down you're not treating them like an idiot you're giving them the absolute clear picture but in a way that they can be like i can make that change tomorrow i can do that straight away that is what moves the needle Treating people like morons doesn't. Going right over their head doesn't. If you can find that place in the middle, and, then, you know, it's just a teaching skill as well. It's just kind of finding the person where they're at. Then that's what really, truly moves the needle. Like, you know, we're talking about making these changes. One of the things that I often change, to, like say to people to change, is don't give up your favourite foods. Mm. Don't give up your favourite foods. Give your favourites a facelift. If you can figure out a couple of ways just to make tweaks to your everyday favourites... And just improve them, you're still going to enjoy the process. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's a good way. Of, it's all about meeting people where they're at rather than, yeah, I think the traditional approach has been to, to either say, oh, well, oh, it's just far too complicated. You've got to understand all the terminology, otherwise you can't join our gang. Mm -hmm. Or, you're like, yeah, we, we, we're going to assume that, like, you, you know, you haven't got two brain cells to rub together and give you half a picture really, with, with like in a, the middle. a glamorous clickbaity <laughs> title that, that's, you know, 
not going to give you any value. It needs to be in the middle. Like People need to fully understand these things. And ultimately, even though it is a, a hellishly complex subject, the execution in terms of day-to-day actions is incredibly simple. Mm. And the more accessible you can make the execution and some strong reasoning why they need to make those changes, that is what's going to instigate change in people. You know what's really interesting? So I'm a mum of three beautiful children and so many parents say my children are my world, they're my why, I would do anything for my kids. As they're taking them to McDonald's to eat a load of <sighs> shite with a full fat coke at age eight years old. Yeah. And Might as well just take them to school, do you know what I mean? It's like, it's it's no it's no worse. So, so it's interesting, right? And, and I would say I've only just got my head around this over properly, uh, being completely transparent the last six months where <laughs> they say knowledge is power, but if you don't action it, then, you know, it's something that has to really resonate. And I consider myself a fairly intelligent person, but we're all victims of lifestyle as well. So, you know, I don't say this from a place of judgment, but I know myself on a Friday when I pick the kids up from school and then I, it's a quick turnaround, I've got half an hour to get them something to eat and then it's off to swim in and then my oldest daughter's got double martial arts. Yeah. The options were KFC or McDonald's, right? Because of my piss poor planning and I can't even say lack of education. So... Okay, well, if it, if it's once a week, who cares? Well... And this, no, is, a, this is an important distinction, okay? okay? Like, like one, one treat meal a week is going to do absolutely bugger all, negative to your health. If it's three meals a day, seven days a week, that's a very, very different situation. Well, it is for most people. So the other thing is they stay with my mother-in-law a couple of days a week, they stay with my dad on an evening and after school clubs, the food that they get at school's pretty shit, really low quality ingredients. Uh, We wouldn't feed it Mm. to our dogs. Our dogs have like the best dog food, you know. (laughs) But our kids are eating it and the mother-in-law, you know, again, so anyway, on a separate note, I'm educating them as I'm educating myself here. But they're they're doing like the chicken nuggets, the the chips as well, you know, just the microwave food or the oven food processed crap. And about six months ago, I can't remember what happened, but the penny finally dropped with me and as I'm seeing these videos because I'm following a lot of people like yourself that are sharing really valuable content as I'm digesting it I'm sending it to my oldest daughter as well he's just turned 11 she was 10 at the time because I knew that when she would see like again something that we used to default back to when we're really busy just before swimming etc super noodles Mm. tasty simple really quick to eat and I watched somebody sent me a video about the absolute shite that's in super noodles, how bad they are. All the, MSG and colourings. And, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, it, and it was horrifying. I said it to my daughter, knowing that if she ever saw me eating super noodles after that, she would be genuinely confused. Mm. Because as a parent, sometimes, I'll be honest, so I might your know that. Partner. Yeah, yeah, but then if I'm running late and they are quite tasty, I think, well, I know it's a bit shit, but, you know, it won't harm me. Whereas I know my daughter would be disappointed in me. She's like, but you, you've told me that that's mm. toxic crap. But the other thing, that I've, I've done and actually this was the point that you were making was to to sort of replace the meals or to, to pimp them up so we got an air fryer <clears> and I got you know the top of the range organic chicken and things that's more from an ethics point of view as opposed to the again I showed my daughter the videos of how the chickens were treated and that we end up eating at McDonald's and KFC and places like that which you know I'm morally very very against mm. actually going vegetarian which I know is controversial in itself but I, you know I, I just don't feel comfortable eating animals anymore but anyway, I um, I got a homemade recipe for the Southern Fried Coat which was just spices, you know, there was nothing unhealthy about it, a little bit of flour, and uh, presented the kids with 
some, you know, I'm not saying it's the most nutritious meal in the world, but they add their veg with it, corn in the cob, blah, blah, blah. Ho- homemade chips in the air fryer, yeah. no, no oil or anything like that. And this homemade chicken. You won't potatoes bad for you, yeah, yeah. And they absolutely loved it. But you want to know what actually the most, one of the most powerful messages that I want to convey to anyone who's like I was only a couple of months ago. When the kids ate it, they absolutely loved it. And all three of them told me that they preferred it to KFC chicken. And they preferred my homemade wedgies to Greg's wedgies, which was another sort of default of ours if mm, we were out mm, and about. Mm. They would like a, a you know a sausage roll and what have you. But the, the, the point I'm trying to make is one, kids only regard as a treat what we tell them is a treat. Now they 100%. think a treat is, oh, let's cook together as a family and make this southern fried chicken. And they absolutely... Love it, but you know it. <laughs> Did you find it affected their palate when they were uh, actually helping you prepare the food as well? Because yeah. we found this with Eat Shop Save when we were actually working with um, the families on the show. The kids that were always really resilient to even going near a vegetable, as soon as they were in the kitchen, sleeves rolled up, helping to prepare the food, yeah. they were re- they were ready to try it because they had an emotional attachment to the end product. It's like yeah. it's like when they bring a picture home that they want you to put up on the fridge, right? It's that emotional attachment to this thing. And as soon as that that meal is finished, that they've actually helped to prepare, they're yeah. emotionally invested in it and it completely changes the way that they approach it. It's a funny thing though, isn't it, as, as parents, that we truly believe that we are doing everything we can for our kids. And so many of us, like I say, myself included, just to reiterate that point, this isn't me preaching at people, but the thing that's arguably the most important thing, in fact, well, it is the most important thing for each and every one of us, far much more than money or anything else, is our physical health, mm. physical and, and mental health. And actually nutrition plays a, a key point in both. But yeah. why do we not extend that logic to our children? And do you want to know what's even worse, Dale, that I used to do? Yeah. My husband and I used to get, oh, this is, this is like confession time. <laughs> You're going to get up and walk out. We were getting, because as I say, they go to after school clubs and things like that a couple of nights a week. We were getting uh, healthy, nutritional, fresh meals prepared for us and delivered to our door. As our kids were eating shite at the mother-in-law's or, you know, mm. at my dad's house or whatever else. So, you know, it, it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm sort of saying my kids are my, not necessarily my why, but they're they're my biggest driver yeah. and what have you. I love them more than anything in the world, as every parent does, I'm sure. But yet it's okay but I, we mustn't properly get it because we wouldn't be doing it if we you know properly got the implications of it there's a bit of an it's, attitude as oh we were all right we we were brought up in shite and we've turned up yeah, all right it's, it's 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 strange isn't it like um i th- i think partly it's a cultural thing partly it is a stress management thing sometimes when parents are run run regularly i mean i i'm gonna i i don't know i'm not a parent so i i i can't relate I can only relate from the point of view of people that I've worked with, mm-hmm. okay, and, you know, clients or people that we've done the TV shows with or whatever. Um, some parents are just stressed to the point where they're just like, just get to eat something. Sometimes, and realistically, in the climate that we're in, sometimes it's, you know, financial boundaries as well and financial constraints where the choice of food is very, 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 very limited. Food poverty is a serious issue in this country. Mm. Um, and, they, and I think it's I think it's a mix of all of them. And it's bizarre. I've, I've lived all over the world. I lived in Japan for a while. And one of the things you'll see there, like the kids are eating the same food as the adults. Mm. 
at school, they're taught about every single nutrient in every food. If you're feeling a certain way, eat more of this and less of that. It's incredible. And you see the see the like the uh, these these are some of the most serene children you've ever seen in your life. The babies don't cry. It's really weird. It's really bizarre. I, I swear to God, they, they, they're always they're always carried in like a, a papoose, like close to the mother as well. Whether like what, what whether that's got anything to do with it, it's really bizarre. Of course, they do at some point. I mean, like obviously, if they're they've got needs, but you see the difference in terms of like you, you know, these very serene little creatures that that have been eating this incredibly high quality food, and then kids that are at a kind of primary school level age being taught all the foundations of nutrition and understanding exactly what's in their food and how what they eat is going to make them feel. That is a million miles away from how things are in most of Europe, let alone just the UK. So that's the cultural aspect. You know, I think it's it's just different in different places. Can I just ask, what, what's the outcome of that in terms of the overall health of the Japanese people? Oh, there's some of the longest lived... Um, longest lived populations on the planet particularly in areas like okinawa there's a lot of uh, centenarians yes it's one of the, one of the green, blue zones uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Green zones. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, yeah i have to admit I mean, every, i've been been back several times since it's kind of like my spiritual home in japan i've got like a real it's where my heart belongs um can i just ask you a question on that these blue zones because yeah. I, i've only started looking into them relatively recently i know there's some of the uh, main greek islands as well isn't there Korea and yeah yeah why are we not I mean this is obviously massively dumbing everything down but if we see a population which got an average life expectancy of over 100 or what have you and they have I think I'm right in saying they have far less dementia cancers Mm -hmm. are pretty much Mm -hmm. non-existent etc etc why are we not as a western society or, or or any society stepping back, looking at what works and trying to mirror that in the same way that you would with any other aspect of your business, for example? I think at the individual level, more and more people are. You know, I think that's kind of why we're having this conversation, why wellness has become such a big thing, because people have realised that the way that we've been doing things isn't serving us. So at the individual level, I think there's more and more people seeking it out. Uh, uh, you know, this is this is this is where we kind of I'm kind of getting into the same territory as the same here. Um, I would say maybe at a governmental level or you know certain organisations, there's no money in healthy people and there's no money in dead people. Their customers are sick people. Yeah, you know the the people that are suffering from chronic disease, they're the stakeholders for big pharma. You know they don't want they don't want you in vibrant health and they don't want you dead. Because neither of those is going to pay them. But when you're kind of in the middle, when you're just existing in that in that state of state of substandard health, in that alive sort of kind of level, on a multitude of different drugs, reliant on those, that's their customer base, and that does influence the kind of information that gets out there. And that's not that's not any kind of strange conspiracy theory or anything like that. My old housemate used to be a European sales director for one of the big pharma companies. And she's now a mobile hairdresser. Okay. So she's taken about 180 grand a year pay cut so she can sleep at night. Mm-hmm. And she she told me many stories where certain trials have been published where there were some very, very negative outcomes from certain drugs. And people from up on high would be like, look, if when you go out and see see your doctors when you're on the road, if any of them ask you about it, you just, you've got to give this answer and this answer and this answer and this answer and steer them back to this. 
I've got friends that are, that are doctors that have been bought BMWs, that have been taken on holidays, that go on golfing weekends. There, there's, you know, there's there's a lot of nefarious shit going on, and and I think we're more aware of it ever than before. Um, but at the same time, more and more people are choosing their own personal power. They're actually taking steps for themselves. There's enough information and understanding. I mean, because to give you another example, when you go to places like, I don't know, like the UAE or, or, or Japan, again, like many parts of Asia, they want their population to be healthier. So they're not a massive drain on resources. Let's just put it from that logical point of view. Yeah. Think about it logically. People that are incredibly sick in, in countries like the UK where healthcare is free at the point of use... That is a huge drain on the resources, yeah? It would just make perfect sense that if, like, we gave populations the means and the education to actually be a little bit healthier, we could save vast amounts in terms of these potential drains on public resources. Can I just ask then, but, do the, or, or does the pharmaceutical industry not have as much of a stronghold in the UAE and countries like Japan? That's a good question. and In all honesty, I don't know. I don't know the full the full extent to to that. I just I just know the governments have got different attitudes towards the health of their population. Mm. Um, but in in like the UAE, for example, there's like a zero tax policy, mm. so they need people to be productive. 9% they, yeah, they they need isn't that over a threshold for corporations? Yeah, yeah. Um, they they need the population to be productive and healthy and contributing to society. Yep. So, you know, you could see that there's an ulterior motive, potentially. Isn't there always? Everything's got a cost, everything's got a payoff. But, yeah, the, to give you an idea, there there are corporations big enough to influence government policy. Just, well, they do. Just they, by they're on the government. Yeah, they're completely. The government. Exactly, yeah. You, so, you look at the same people who control the, the food industry. They're mm-hmm, the same mm-hmm. people who control the pharmaceutical industry, the oil industry the arms industry that that funds you know a lot of proxy very lucrative wars you know mm. there's it's the same people this is not conspiracy stuff this is fact based yeah. yeah. evident based non negotiable yeah, go you, just you can do find, your own you can find research the, links. Yeah, the yeah. same names yeah. come up time and time again yeah and i just wonder when the overreach or if the overreach will stop because you know, every downside has an upside and every upside has a downside. Mm. So I'm actually very thankful to COVID. Jo- Dr. John Martini actually calls it St. COVID. And obviously a lot of people will be <laughs> outraged by that statement. Yeah. But for me, as someone who's not affiliated in any way with this space, as I said, not being a, a particularly healthy person up until age 37, age 38, I've only just turned 40. This is this is me very much in the sort of start of my own cliche journey, you know? That's when things start to go downhill as well. And it gets, yeah, you have to pay more attention to you things. You do yeah. have to pay more attention. But actually it was uh, throughout the course of the pandemic, starting to do my own research. A few red flags uh, kept arising as I was digesting the the information, the, the propaganda that was kind of rammed <sighs> down our throat. Yeah. And, and and actually your friend, um, Dr. Zima Holtra, who, who's been on the podcast, um, he was actually very pro-vaccination at the... I remember him doing uh, the rounds, uh, telling, uh, encouraging people to the, get it, absolutely. But, but even at that point, he was banging the drum to say that, again, why are we not talking about more preventative mm-hmm. lifestyle choices mm-hmm. because 
I think at that point, I'm correct in saying that the average person who died from COVID yes. has four comorbidities, well, obesity exactly. being the number one. If, if you took advanced age and underlying respiratory disease out of the equation, the people that were faring the worst had one or more markers of poor metabolic health. So obesity, type 2 diabetes, cardiovascular disease, all of those, normally two or three of them, they were the people that were dying. And if that, I mean, in some ways, that really shone a spotlight on the importance of long-term health, particularly metabolic health. Um, but yeah, even mention it, because I, I, I was talking a lot about vitamin D at the mm. time as well and, and some of those kinds of things. <laughs> and yeah, the good old um, fact-check things that popped up on the social media yeah. accounts and stuff like that. And it's like, oh, fact-checked. Well, that's, you know, that's kind of... Well, again, that was another red flag for me. So I started, you know, I wasn't just listening to Dave down the pub, mainly because I couldn't get near Dave down the pub because <laughs> pubs were shut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, not through lack of trying. Sorry, Dave, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll meet again. Uh, but yeah, I, I started seeing uh, or, or listening to people like Dr. Robert Malone, who mm -hmm. was one of the creators of the mRNA technology, as you know, that was in the vaccine, and Dr. Peter McCulloch, and lots of other doctors and, and people that were just starting to raise concerns and then seeing how they were vilified, deplatformed, mm -hmm. ridiculed. In some cases, they were stripped of their medical license, deprived of the ability to, to be able to, to go and uh, have a, li a livelihood, you know, put food on the table for their families. Yeah. And that was actually the biggest red flag for me. I thought, wow, this is a little bit like North Korea. Because at that point, I was just kind of on the fence, if you like. I, I could tell that there was something going on that I didn't quite feel comfortable with. But in any other point in history, as far as I'm aware, well, actually, that's not true. There's been several points in history when you were sort of mandated to, to live a certain way and, and, and believe a, a certain ideology, but mm. certainly not in my lifetime. You would see whether it was Brexit or general election, whatever it may be, you would listen to two <clears throat> opposing experts, yeah. give their opinion. You could go and do your own research, your own due diligence and make a relatively informed decision. All those days are long gone with decision. mainstream media, yeah. But you can't. And again, a lot of the stuff that was classed as conspiracy has now been evidenced beyond doubt that, yep. you know, the the Google CEO, Zuckerberg, uh, what's he called? Uh, Jack Dorsett, is it? Uh, from Twitter oh, at the time. Gone, thankfully. Yeah, yeah they, they all met up and basically agreed to, you know, with, with the US government to suppress this information. Uh, and obviously accounts were flooded with bots. So you were made to believe mm. that if you had an, like an opposing viewpoint, Yes, I think we probably were in the minority, but nowhere near as much so as we were led to believe through. We're not just talking propaganda. We're we're talking yeah. about AI technology and suppression of information, mm. deplatformed like I was with my yeah. YouTube channel. You know, but content we removed, weaponizing fear. Like, have you have you seen Laura Dodsworth's book, State of Fear? No. Wonderful piece of work. I mean, she's 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 part of the talk radio crew, yeah. And th those guys really shone during all of that because they were one of the only platforms that still had both sides of the story. Mm. So you've got this view, you've got this view. I'm going to speak to both of you. You know, listeners, you're grown-ups. Make your own decisions. Um, and that's what I really loved about that. But this, this book really broke down the behavioural psychology tactics that were used to really instill ungodly levels of fear in people to make, to, to make them comply. And you know what? I have to be honest. Right at the beginning... I was kind of like, yeah, we don't know what the holy hell we're dealing with, so let's let's take precaution. I mean, it's like, but as soon as you started to see what was really going on, you're like, okay, 
okay, so we should probably drop some of these things now. But why it lasted, I, I still don't know. I still haven't got, I still can't figure out what was, I, I don't know whether it is ignorance, fear, um, political virtue signalling or a mixture of all of these things. I really don't know. Perhaps but something it, more sinister? Maybe. And I've got absolutely no evidence that that's the case or a clear line of sight as to what that might be. I mean, I've I've heard all sorts of stories and ideas, but certainly I, you know, I... There's no logical think, outcome. Like, no. To, there, mean, there's some no of the things with, with masks, to me, like, it, when I started to really see that there was daft stuff going on, it's just like, go into a restaurant, you wear your mask, you sit down at the table, you need to take it off, but if you, need, if you need to go to the loo, put it back on again. It's just yeah. like, that's like having a pissing area in a swimming pool. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. just like, you know, it's, it's, if you can't see that there's a little bit of... Um, ridiculousness here then yeah that was the red flag then that's what i went onto amazon and bought one of the lanyards i was like i'm wearing that fucking oh thing. yeah me yeah, too, yeah, exactly. me too. Yeah, like... but you, you know what it's quite stressful at the time it's funny how quickly you sort of forget because mm. i i i think i did comply the first time they did the mask thing i was a bit like yeah, yourself yeah, yeah. you know because we didn't know what we were dealing with yeah, that was like the fair Spanish, enough yeah like, deadly flu was yeah. coming we were all fucked we're all gonna die like to, to the point where it's absolutely ridiculous now but i remember walking in the woods with my family and this cute little elderly couple happened to come within two meters of us and well my husband was the one at the front and i remember saying to him afterwards i was like screaming and shouting i was like you've put our family in danger we're never leaving the house again like this is and like i bought into it hook line and sinker it was unprecedented times we're seeing all mm. the planes grounded mm. you're seeing like the city center of rome uh abandoned madrid like london it was really spooky it was like a zombie apocalypse yeah. and i think most people were obviously erring on the side of caution at the time but as more information has came to light the uh yeah the it was such a disproportionate response and yeah it, it's interesting times uh, they're actually trying to bring it back so let's see if enough people have awakened to resist the lunacy from the... Bring it all back, like masks and stuff. Bring, yeah, yeah, in America, uh, <laughs> Canada. Um, well, yeah, wow, Canada, that was interesting with all the truckers and everything. That was like... What the fuck? Yeah. So, I mean... Uh, He's a special lad, isn't he? <laughs> very special, jeez. <laughs> oh, my God. I mean, Canada. Canada, of all places, it's... That's a qu quote South Park. Blame Canada. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was insanity, wasn't it? And it was the way that the public rallied around the truckers, mm. fought for their right to express themselves because they were yeah. basically saying, we're isolated, we're in our own cabin here. To yeah. mandate vaccines is absolute insanity. So anyway, they were protesting, uh, as you're well aware of. Uh, the public, there was mass support. They donated tens of millions possibly hundreds of millions i'm not quite sure was it like through just giving and they disabled the just giving through page just and debanked giving. loads of them the, as well. so yeah not only did they confiscate all the money which went to trudeau and the canadian government they actually suspended the bank accounts not just of the truckers but, the but to the well. civilians yeah. Yeah. the everyday heroes that are donating 10 15 quid mm. here and there having the right to to bank withdrawn, yeah. which means you can't pay your mortgage, which means you can't go to the supermarket and pay your standing orders and everything else. They were putting people into poverty. It was it was absolute insanity. And it it's kind of been brushed over. And whilst I think we need to have compassion on a 
individual level for people mm. who perhaps were hoodwinked understandably through the level of propaganda that we all experienced. Yeah. I think those that's, people at the top need to be held That's the worst to part of it. Just just seeing so many good people like having a number done on them. That's 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 what really enraged me. I mean, I've I've been working from home for like 15 years. Like <laughs> apparently like my normal day-to-day life is what everyone else calls a quarantine, but never mind. Uh, <laughs> But, you know, just seeing so many people like genuinely terrified and like having their lives uprooted in so many ways. And some people really, I mean, you know, end up in a terrible state for it mm. unnecessarily. That's that's the thing that really got to me. My I mean, mum ended yeah. up getting sectioned. My mum was on her own, like a lot of people, for such an extended period of time. And, and what, don't yeah. get me wrong, my dad, they, they've been long, long divorced. But he was actually someone who lived on the, their own and sort of thrived. I think it yeah. depends on your personality type to a degree as well. But my mum, over the sort of months, became more and more terrified, scared to reintegrate mm. back into society. Pretty much had a full mental breakdown and ended up getting um, sectioned under the it's Mental awful. Health Act, like a, a lot of other people did. And, you know, it's very hard to quantify the true impact of the lockdowns. You know, the net life saved. I think yeah. we all know. You know we, we don't even know the extent of COVID. I'm sure you know many, yeah. many people have got COVID on the death certificate that were run over by a bloody motorbike, as I do. I know at least yeah. five people personally yeah. that were put down as COVID deaths that absolutely without a shadow of a doubt weren't because the hospitals were paid a premium they were incentivized to put COVID on the death certificate again this is factually accurate yeah. this is not conspiratorial conspiratorial <laughs> it's uh, that's the thing I mean it was crystal clear that there were certain groups within society that were incredibly at risk and there is no I, I'm sure there's not a person alive that would want them to be at unnecessary risk or would want any harm to come to them so logically it'd be like well okay let's make sure the people that are really vulnerable get the shielding that they need get the support that they need and make sure that they're okay and let the rest of us just kind of let society run as normal so the, I mean, like we are, we are directly paying the price for most of lockdown policy at the minute. Most of the cost of living crisis. The only thing that is influenced by, you know, a European war is energy prices. Everything else is a direct reflection of, of COVID policy. You know, it is a response to policy. What you shut down most of the global economy for two years, and then like when it actually starts up again. The price and structure of everything's fucked and everything falls falls to pieces. <laughs> well, I didn't see that coming, Taggart. Do you know what I mean? It's like it's it, it's kind of the net cost of all of that is so far beyond, yeah, what it was intended to do. Well, mm. what we were told it was intended to do. But the, the good thing, you know what, to, to turn all of this around is because um, I feel we, we could probably go all, down all sorts of <laughs> pathways with this. But it, I do think that some good came out of it in some ways, particularly people's attitudes towards their own health. Well, actually, yeah. I, yeah, I, that's actually the the initial point I was trying to make. We, <laughs> Before we, we went down the rabbit hole. I, yeah. I told you, it's just one big open loop, this yeah. podcast. It was really understanding whether this is accurate or not. It's certainly my interpretation that... The people, the institutions that I thought were there to kind of protect us perhaps don't always have our best interests at heart. Mm. And in a very positive way, I've taken extreme accountability for my own health. It's yes. that whole thing. No one's coming to save you. You're right. You yeah. know, the whole preventative, you know, prevention's better than yeah. cure. And I know a lot of other people are a lot more committed to living a, a far healthier lifestyle than they ever 
were or perhaps would have been had it not been for the the whole COVID situation. But I want to actually ask you, Dale, a little bit more about your own lockdown experience, nothing to do with COVID itself, because you'd actually encountered quite a lot of personal tragedy not long before the the start of COVID. Within the space of 12 months, you actually lost your best friend to mm-hmm. cancer and then my dad to cancer just about eight or nine months afterwards yeah so i was i was already in quite a difficult place and hadn't because you know i've lost friends before and that's one thing but i think it's only only people that have experienced losing a parent understands how that kicks seven shades of shit out of you that really does do a number on you um so i was yeah i was still very wobbly should we say and then as soon as the lockdowns came it was it was just like the final thing i just got, got to a point where it was it almost got too much not so much that i wanted to take a permanent way out i was i never went there but i i just didn't want to engage in every single day um so i i, I kind of swung like a pendulum at some points and i was like super productive and super super on it and creating new online courses and doing the rest of it and then the next minute like when it would really you know, if there was something crazy in the news, it would kind of take me straight back to square one. And I got to the point where, I, you know, just because the weather was nice, I was just sat in the garden, drinking beer, listening to reggae. That was it. Boom, mm. done. I'd give it up. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was very, very bizarre. It did, it did, it did get to a point where it was affecting me negatively. And I, you know, and yeah, I, I just started drinking. I, very, I withdrew. I was disconnected from my own kind of personal identity. It was very bizarre because I think, I think it was just one thing after another and no no real opportunity to 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 kind of deal with it Process all in one go. It. Yeah. And you know, it's it's bizarre cuz I know you 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 stopped drinking a while ago, didn't you? Well, interestingly, so I did the year, well, I did like yeah. almost 14 months. Then I had a few months dipping my toe back okay. in and then decided to do the second half of this year. Okay, cool. Alcohol free again. Yeah, so it's it's a strange thing. I mean, I, I, it had never been a major issue for me it was one of those things just like take it or leave it which it is now but at that point it it almost became like a like a bit of a crutch in some ways during that very intense period where it's very effective at just making the world go away for a little while and as weird as it sounds and as clearly damaging a behavior that is it probably saved my life yeah which is a very strange thing to say but if there wouldn't have been something just to take me away from the intensity of that situation, I'm not sure how I would have dealt with it, if I'm entirely honest. But there, it was just for long enough, for a long enough period of time, it was able to just take me away from the, the like the intense core of everything that I was feeling until I was able to just deal with things a bit, a little bit at a time. And now on the other side of it, this doesn't even cross my mind now. It's like, if I go to a party, it's like, yeah, yeah, crack on. But it's, you know, it's not something that's like a, a, a part of my life. So it was a very strange time. And I learned some very interesting things about myself. In that, Well, no, no, well, you know, in, in the, you know, where, where my tolerances are, but also um, it gave, gave me insight into, you know, other people that have had issues with, with substances and stuff as well. I mean, because a good friend of mine is Johan Hari, You've seen his work, like mm. particularly with with lost connections, um, and in in one of his TED talks, he he talked about, um, and this was just after he did Chasing the Scream, I think, which was his first book, and that's about addiction. And he was talking about his own experiences with people in his own family, and he said he came to realise that the opposite of addiction is not sobriety; the opposite of addiction is connection. And it's like when when like a lot of people that 
go into that situation, do so because there is something about their circumstances that is just too painful to accept and deal with and to live in. Their life has just become so painful that they don't want to be in it. They don't want the permanent way out, but they just don't want to be in the pain of, of a normal day. And that's, you know, he uses the example of, you know, some, someone's granny goes into a hospital with a, a broken hip and she gets morphine, which is the best quality heroin in the world. She doesn't come out of hospital and try and score down the alley. She doesn't come out a junkie. So it's not the substance, but it's the relationship between the substance, the individual and the circumstance and where those three things meet up. And that was probably one of the biggest insights out of it. And yeah, like I say, now it's, it's, it's a non-thing. What was the tipping point for you when it went from perhaps overindulging, which the majority of the nation were during that yeah. really difficult, I use that word again, unprecedented times. The weather was uncharacteristically yeah. nice. A lot of us were sat in the garden, myself included, ironically exercising through the day. I've never been so physically fit, eating really well because I have more yeah. time to prepare fresh meals, etc. But then it would get to... I was going to say five o'clock, but it depends how sunny it was. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I'm thinking, oh, I remember, honestly, and then this wasn't the norm, but mm. I do remember messaging my, messaging my husband on a Monday afternoon. He was up in the office. Kids are running around. At that point, we had a huge garden. It was a rental property we were staying in, so we were really fortunate to have got such a beautiful big property mm. to have the lockdown and a lot of people weren't obviously in that situation but the paddling pulls out I had the the beats on it was brilliant and I'm messaging him at two o'clock on a Monday going is it too early for a cheeky cocktail and he's going nah go on yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll come yeah, down yeah, yeah. you know and uh, I think a lot of people will resonate with that yeah. everyone I know certainly was drinking yeah. uh, disproportionately or, or certainly in comparison to the the pre-lockdown set of rules that we impose on ourselves but at what point for you specifically did it go from just having a nice time listening to Reggie in the garden to thinking actually this is a bit of an issue here um in all honesty I I, I would say my situation probably wasn't that different it was just a lot for me it was more than what I usually do, and that's the difference. Rather than, I think a lot of people just like just need a bit of encouragement. They're like, hey, yeah, nice one. They just do the things that they would normally like to do on holiday or given the opportunity. Mm. This was just a little bit out of character. I mean, it certainly wasn't a lot. It's not like it was like a bottle of vodka a day or something. It'd be like, you know, just 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 enough to take the edge off of things. But for me, that wasn't normal. You felt and addicted, though, didn't you? Then, well. <sighs> I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't like to use those terms lightly because obviously I've dealt with people that have got serious levels of addiction and it's completely tore their life apart. So I didn't know whether I, you know, I was just being a bit of a fucking wet flannel and just needed to kick up the arse and just get back on with it. Um, but I was certainly in a cycle. I was in a, I was in a damaging cycle where it got support. It's like, enough now. This, you know, this needs to... This this needs to stop. Probably when I was, say, you know, because everyone was online debating COVID and debating all the rest of it and all that kind of stuff. Sometimes when I, I realised the tone of some of the things that I was doing, I had the potential to be damaging. When I realised that I'd taken my eye off the ball with my business and taken my eye off the ball in terms of my interactions with my followers and stuff. Nothing huge. I mean, I, was, I wasn't like, you know, arrested for nicking underpants in Sainsbury's or anything weird like that. There was no, there was no rock bottom. There was no terrible, cataclysmic, everything falling apart. I just realised that I was going down a very damaging road. And it was, only, it was only when you kind of get conscious of it that you can take steps. It's, the worst part is when, when it's like just subconscious daily behaviour. Mm -hmm. And that was the point. 
that was that that was like the tipping point. I I, I realised that it was becoming a subconscious daily behaviour that was a coping mechanism rather than you know any kind of chaotic nightmare. Um, and that's what it was only being able to observe that and kind of stare that in the face that. I was like, okay, that's that's, and I'm I'm I am one of those people. I, like, I used to smoke, like when I when I was, I started smoking when I was ten. Ten. Yeah, and I gave up when I was eighteen, and it was just one of those things. I was just like, one day I was just like, fuck this, done with that. Never went near it again. Wow. Yeah, and yeah, like that with 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 this, and also yeah, I was just feeling rotten. I Did put you weight feel? On. I was, yeah, I was, felt terrible. You're a figurehead for health and yes. wellness. Was there a part of you during that time? And I'm asking because there's definitely been situations where I can resonate with this from content that I've put out mm-hmm. when people have, not that you want them to, but they're almost pedestalizing you because you put out motivational content. And yeah, you're yeah, actually yeah, yeah. going through a really dark time or a shit time. You try to be transparent, but you know, it's not Oprah Winfrey either. So yeah, you, you yeah. do keep certain baggage away from your social media profile. But yeah. I, I felt like a bit of a, a fraud because of the nature of what you do when those skills were tilted in the mm, wrong direction. Mm, was there any part of you? Guilt, th- shame. Yeah. Shame. Yeah, there was a lot of shame. Um, at first, but now there's not. Mm. Now it's not. It's like you were feeling shame for struggling in life. So what the fuck's the matter with you? And when I was, but we did, though, don't we? Yeah, yeah. But when I was more, like, started to become more open about it, the amount of people that were like, "Thank you so much." I, I was, I was, I had a similar situation, and it's, you know, it's good to know that other people can go through that. Um, you know, now I don't, I don't feel as bad. Mm. Um, and you know what? If someone's got a negative opinion, it's like shut the door on your way out. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's just like, I don't need you. I don't We're want our you. worst yeah. enemies, though, yeah. and this is what I'm talking about, not the public perception, yeah. the perception that you had of yourself. Right, where you <laughs> yeah, I'm, I, I'm that daily. Do you yeah. know what I mean? I'm always, all my, always my own worst critic. But <laughs> I, do, I do believe that that is a necessary thing for excellence. I do. Yeah. yeah. You know, if, if, if everything is not your fault, then you're always going to be limited. When you take absolute responsibility for everything, then you have the chance to really excel. Um, you know, and I've been doing what I what I do for thirty years nearly, right? and it's well over thirty years. Jesus, that's the thought. Um, <laughs> and, and, and I've always been like that. I've always been like, if if I didn't achieve a certain outcome, that's down to me. It's got nothing to do with anything else. It's just like I wasn't good enough. Simple as that. So I need yeah. to get better. You know, I'm very fortunate in terms of what I do for a living and I've not spoken to anyone who's achieved anything of significance that doesn't take that full accountability, yeah. that yeah. full high level of ownership for their yeah. own actions. And with that, obviously, that situation that I was in at that time, because of that mentality, there was a, a huge amount of shame. But I think that I had to be gentle with myself. It's just like, you know, there was there was so... It was like a stacking of traumas. And then mm. when, I, when, I, when I think about that, it's like I shouldn't judge myself for struggling to grieve because a lot of people do and with one of the most alien situations that's ever happened to a population ever (laughs) thrown into the mix you know it was like the switch was teetering there do you know what I mean and and I shouldn't judge myself harshly for that at the end of the day it's in the rearview mirror it's long gone it's like it's it's ancient history to me and can I ask you though about the the process how did you Treat yourself with kindness whilst giving yourself the kick up the arse that you needed at that point. That's a really interesting question. I don't think they... It's it's like two two opposite poles, isn't mm. it? And I think that it's almost impossible to do both at the same time. 
I think the kindness came from identifying what was going on, mm. yeah, and realising what was happening and accepting the fact that, you know, you were just trying to find a way to cope with a very, very difficult situation. And then the accountability side was like, right, okay, now you know this, I can do something about it. Mm-hmm. Make the change. And once that side kicks in, as it always does, it was very easy. But it wasn't until I identified what was going on that that part could be activated. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? It's like it's like that kind of built the switch, and when it's flicked, that can switch on. Yeah, and it's, it's only it's, it's only when you know what you're dealing with that you can deal with it. It's only when you understand what you've got to take action against or towards that you can take the relevant action. If you don't know what you're doing, otherwise you're just sitting there like chasing your tail, aren't you? There's so, so, so many people look at you because you are widely regarded as an expert, quite rightly, within your field, and I feel like conversations like this the transparency the realness the rawness it allows people it gives them a permission to be vulnerable and actually those can be some of the most powerful conversations the human condition is incredibly fragile Mm. and i think in this in this day and age we're we're almost accepted to expected to be resilient to everything and especially you know the the british mentality of the stiff upper lip even though that's kind of you know going little a little bit with uh, with generations that are coming up they're a little bit more emotionally intelligent but i think there's an expectation that we should always be okay and i'm, I'm not going to use that i'm not going to use that line you know it's okay to not you know i'm not going to use that it's more a case of there there is going to be times when life kicks you in the ass and it's going to be incredibly difficult to deal with. And none of us are immune to that. None of us are in some kind of exclusive club that bypass the shit of life. It's going to come to every single one of us. And my view of it now is like, I've been through this. If there's one thing that I can do to help you get through the same thing, hit me up, let me know. I've been there. And that's that's how I can understand where you're at. Not from some kind of ivory tower of just reading about it in a textbook. It's like, I know where you are because I've been in the trenches as well. So I can talk to you in a way that someone that hasn't been through that can't. Someone that could give you all the support in the world. But if they actually really understand where you're at at that, that point in time, then you can sort of guide, guide people towards the door, towards the way out. So, I, I, you know, I do see it as a gift in that respect, you yeah, know, because, because I, I, I learned things about myself, but I also learned new things about the human condition and new things about... You know, the amount of people, the amount of people that now come to me that are struggling with those kinds of things. And, and I don't broadcast this shit, by the way. I don't, I don't go out of my way to tell people about it. It's just in a couple of situations I've been asked about it and I'm always honest about it. You know, I don't sort of voluntarily slap it all over my social media, but I have been asked in interviews. So, I, I you know, I've, I've got no qualms of being open about it because at the end of the day, it's 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 it, to be the other side of it is is a blessing and there's so many gifts there mm. but on the back of that the amount of people that have actually messaged me that have, that are in quite complex situations and we've been able to work in ways that i've never worked before um and weirdly a lot of men and men are notoriously bad at really opening up but since i've been through that and this is really strange this has happened to me in like random social situations and in places complete strangers They've been talking to me for ten minutes. Have all of a sudden opened up, and like it's it's like their it's like their, their their soul has opened. And one of them, like you know, his his wife was with him, and she was like, "How the fuck did you just do that?" She was like, "We've not been able to get him to talk for ten years." I was like, "I didn't do anything." 
I think you carry an energy. When, when you've been in certain situations, you carry an energy that people can pick up on. Mm. And they, they, know, they, they know where it's safe yeah. to, to open up at that level. And I don't think I had that energy around me before because I hadn't, I hadn't, I hadn't been that, to that lower point before. But because there were so many things one after the other that just stacked, that just took different tolls on me. Coming, the other, coming through the other side of it, I think that's obviously changed me as a person, but it's, it, it changes how I conduct myself around other people in, in different situations. I'm not, I am not the same person as I was before it, and I'm glad. Because, you know, and, you know this is, you've probably had that experience, I don't know, but you, sometimes when you, you kind of start getting some success and you get all the things that you want and all that kind of stuff, you have to, be, you have to, you have to check yourself now and again. You have to be a little bit careful. Not to be too much of a twat, I did, um, and it really took all that away, and it really kind of, with a giant boot in the jacksy, got me back down to that human level again, and back down to, I'm trying, I'm trying to find the right words, but I, th- I think you, under- I think you understand what I mean, like just sort of connecting at the most raw, fundamental levels again. Yeah. Which, partly, you know, when when you're kind of solely in pursuit of certain goals and outcomes you can be sort of quite detached from humanity in some ways it can it's it's a weird little world this entrepreneurial world isn't it's not it's not a successful life and i think you've came to very similar sort of realizations to me i know you've spoke before about the first class fights yeah yeah yeah. tv appearances outwardly you've got absolutely everything you're in a profession that you love sharing information that you're passionate about you've got all the financial trappings and everything else yet you felt unfulfilled and hollow and actually realised that you were almost putting your ladder against the wrong wall with certain metrics of your life. But I do think we're kind of programmed to believe if you do X, then you'll achieve Y and that will make Mm -hmm. you happy as opposed to incorporating the knowledge that you've got around health and wellness and, and mental health, but also with perhaps a more spiritual element where you're asking deeper questions like what yeah. what is the point of all of this you know why am i here how how can i contribute and you're someone that as you as you learn through you know pain a lot of the time mm-hmm. you're growing as a person but you're sharing that with yeah. your clients through podcasts your tv appearances and what have you and i'd like to think that's what i'm kind of doing on my own journey as well through the podcasts and I can only presume that's why people find this podcast relatable. I, I yeah. said to you before we hit record, it aim very professional deal, but we seem to get the <laughs> we, we seem to get the viewings because yeah. so Joe Rogan, for example, I love him. I think he's the the absolute OG. I, I love him to bits, but he's two thousand episodes in, and he was also established through his own hard work with a TV career. Prior to that, he was a UFC fighter, very much into health and comedian fitness. As well, yeah. Comedian, yeah, media trained. And, you know, nobody gave him anything. He worked really hard for everything that he's got. But he his slant on things, obviously not every area, he's, quite, he's got quite informed opinions. Whereas a lot of the time, I'm deliberately surrounding myself with people that are so much more knowledgeable than I have, that, like, I'm an absolute layman. But mm. I, I think... Sometimes when you're not pretending to be something that you're not, when you are relatable to people, when you are a bit of a warts and all type of person, which can often be 
to your detriment as well. You know, I'm I'm a bit like Marmite. I'm not sure if you've ever had any sort of negative responses and things like that on on social media. But you know, it, it actually when you stick your head above the parapet. I mean, I, I've had <laughs> negative responses on social media. Who's ever heard of such a thing? Well, oh, yeah, I, I, you, you I, need to manage the, I, the I, mental. I don't take much notice. I mean, like if 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 there's an opportunity to take the piss out of them, then I will. If <laughs> if if they're just vile, I'll block them. Just like you know, block and off you go. Um, or if it's just if it's just some sort of banal comment, I'll just ignore it. But but again, what? So I've spoken about just that specific point actually, because that this is what everyone says, you know, block, delete, etc. But yeah, a lot of us, myself included, less so now, yes. But we do get impacted by the negative comments, and it must be a human nature thing. You can have a hundred positive comments in a post. I don't one anymore. really. Uh, after all this, this is what I'm saying. Uh, coming out the other side of if you would have if you'd have spoken to me in uh, 2018, it would have had more of an impact. Right. But after all this stuff, it's just like you you think that you can actually even remotely bother me now. After that, it's just like what some more on the other side of the world that's that I'm never going to meet that's got absolutely zero zero meaning to my life is going to have zero impact on my life decides to to swear at me or say something it's like you really think you're going to do me some damage it's like you need to try a hell of a lot harder than that mate yeah but that's what makes you relatable because you're not just saying i think it's important to add that little bit of context in rather than just say oh it doesn't bother me yeah, yeah. Block, block delete i'm like that now but yeah. it's been years of a process it's through experiencing real low points that you come to the realization that sweating the small stuff is getting you absolutely, absolutely nowhere, nowhere in life but i think it is important to say to people actually yeah i can totally see where you're coming from i don't know what it is we're, we're hardwired to go straight to mm. the negative it would affect my energy you know it, and also knowing that it shouldn't was also quite frustrating so you're doing all this self-development about you don't compare you don't do this you don't do that you go, why, why do i still feel like this here's another thing what I've actually started doing a lot more recently is engaging in a positive way where possible. Sometimes it's not possible and, you know, a knob's a knob. Um, I called somebody a villain the other day. Oh, it's great. It's one of the best <laughs> words ever. Yeah, it's fantastic. Underused. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but sometimes, I mean, let's be fair let's and let's be realistic about this. That kind of action isn't coming from a happy person, is it? You know? And also, that kind of shit doesn't come from, like, the top down. It comes from below up. Right, it's always like you know the snapping up at your heels. Sometimes you can you, you can read into it that in a strange way it's someone reaching out and having some level of awareness through that. I've had several interactions where just slowly and surely sort of built a positive relationship with this person, and this person's actually turned out to open up about a lot of stuff, and I've actually developed connections with. So I also try not to, I mean, I don't fly off, you know, anyone can have a look at my social media and you'll see, you'll see the occasional critical thing and sometimes I'll either not answer, maybe a little wisecrack, but I mean, I, I never fly off the handle with stuff. I always take time to sit back and have a look at the person's account as well and just kind of get an idea of them and see what they're about. Sometimes you can tell that people are suffering mm. and you can reach out in a way. You know, I, I think I think a lot of that is overlooked. I think there's automatically the the assumption that we need to always be on the defensive and it needs to be about how do we cope with it and it's like well okay so i've never really sat there and, and kind of wanted to sort of have a go at people online that's got to come from a very unhappy place and in a very unfulfilled place is there anything i can do to actually help them actually make them feel better 
Sometimes helping people is pointing out the fact that they are indeed a dickhead or a bellend <laughs> or, you know, any <laughs> of these other... Bellend. Yeah. Um, but other times, you know, an olive branch and maybe an opportunity to... Yeah, develop a conversation with them. You know and what? You're you're so wise. And that's happened. I'm I mean, because I I, I I I became a practicing Buddhist from the age of about twenty. And so, how did I not know that? Ah, see, I need to keep some something close to my chest. My research yeah. has filled me. <laughs> well, um, yeah. So I I followed a a lay order called Shin Yuan, but there there were so many aspects of the Dharma that still resonate with me today, and. I think it's it's all too easy to just think about how things affect us, mm-hmm. and I, you know one of the one of the biggest things in 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 Buddhism is that like most suffering comes from attachment, mm-hmm. whether it's attachment to things, whether it's attachment to outcomes, whether it's attachment to to emotions, mm-hmm. yeah. and you know the the situation is just completely neutral, but it's our attachment to it that creates the situation. So there's that. It's just like, okay, so someone's saying something. Why does that matter? Is that because I maybe feel elements about myself, elements of that about myself? And is that just identifying that in me? And if so, incredible. That gives me something, it gives me an opportunity to work on that and to better that and to actually polish that. So the next time that someone says the same thing, it's like, mm, okay, on, on with the day. But also, I think with that, it, it, it kind of enables you to always try and look from other people's perspectives as well. Mm. Um, it's like in Hitchhiker's Guide of the Galaxy, there's a perspective gun, isn't there? You know, um, that kind of makes you see things from other people's perspective. When you can try, sometimes if you can try and do that as much as possible, and like you, you, know, you don't know the whole torrent of shit that person might have been through. You know, some dark things might have happened to them. And the only way that they're going to get some kind of pressure release is that they're just, you know, having a go at some some bald knobhead on, on Instagram. Fantastic. Cool. Okay. But then what? You know, like, you know, is there, is there a way that we can connect and we can get you out of this? I mean, th- there's so many ways of viewing it. And, it, and it, it's it's difficult for it not to... I mean, one of the worst things is like, obviously I do a lot of the shows like This Morning and Lorraine and those kind of things. You go on This Morning, then you get in get in the car, like you sort of walk out of the studio, get in the car. First thing you do is go on Twitter and just look at the abuse, <laughs> the load of abuse on there. They're savages. They're absolute savages, but sometimes it gives me a giggle as well. It's it's incredibly difficult not to take it from heart, but I, whenever I start feeling like that, that's when I bring that attachment question in. So talking about that, that, that core part of the Dharma, it's like okay, why is that person's comment making me feel that way? You know, why, one, why is my happiness so cheap, <laughs> right? Powerful. Two, the only reason I'm feeling like that, it's got zero to do with what that person's just said. It's got everything to do with something within me, that, uh, like uh, an element of my self-image or self-belief that that is triggering and talking to. This is why I get pissed off with trigger warnings. It's like your triggers are your biggest gifts. Mm. It's a spotlight on on areas where maybe you're a little damaged and you need to do some work. And when you do that work, it gives you the most, it's the most beautifully liberating, strengthening thing that you can do. So I, I, I often, in so many situations, when I find myself really getting affected by things, I always bring it back to that. Because th- it's never the situation, you know, we feel someone's wronged us or it's this or it's that. It's never the situation. It's always our attachment to a certain situation, outcome, emotion, whatever. It's our shit to deal with. It's down to us. 
And when you when you when you can always look at things from that angle. And by the way, this isn't saying it's easy because it's really fucking hard. Um, it's it's incredibly empowering because what damage can anyone do you if all of a sudden you can just be completely immune to that? And early on in in my Buddhist practice, I thought that a lot of these things were actually quite scary because it would kind of make you numb and make you not feel anything anymore. But it's quite the opposite. You know, you don't get the extremes of emotion. You, you don't get the ups and the downs often, but still, as I learned, things can happen that can throw you and, and kick you in the guts. But what it does mean is it looks like it, it makes life so much more beautiful and you can, and you can become much more resonant mm. with the beautiful things that are going on. And you know, to quote to quote Dan Millman, there's never there's never nothing going on. There are no ordinary moments. <laughs> there's so much incredible things happening. That if we're lost in this whole kind of grey blinkered world of self judgment and self doubt and feeling terrible because the world isn't working the way that we want it, we're missing everything else that's going on. And the, like, there's there's so many gifts in every single second, every single minute that if you can start to take away a lot of that that mental trash, you take out the rubbish, which is, you know, and it's completely this, it's just the brain. It's, it's not reality, it's just the brain getting in the way. Then it becomes, obviously things become far more simple, but things become far more beautiful as well. And then, you know, the occasional comment, most of the time it's like, okay, this makes yeah. you chuckle. It's, um, and it's not to say that it's always easy. It's not to say that we always remember it because I had that period, I mean, I certainly in my 20s, I was, deeply deeply into spirituality and deeply in, in into buddhism and, and my my daily practice and you know then then you know started getting the success and you get blinkered a little bit from all the all the the glitzy things and all the trinkets and the toys and then like you know like i said in that 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 time with chloe like i had that that realization on a plane it's just like hang on, I've been chasing all this stuff and it's not made me happy at yeah. all. It's like going back to basics and actually remembering all of the incredible things that are there in life that actually do give happiness. Um, so it's not to say that any of this is easy or that I've that it's like a sustained state that like I, I live in. I'm not the Dalai Lama. Do you know what I mean? But it's um it's something that once once you're conscious of, it's a very powerful tool as well. Mm. And I think I think that kind of self-reflection is powerful anyway. If if something's affecting you in a certain way, it's just like, okay, the reality of the situation, a person put together a few letters that made a few sentences. That event has caused me to feel like I'm some kind of failure or this, that or the other. It's not that that's done it. It's something deep in me. Let's look at this. Let's figure this out. And that might mean that for some people, therapy. For some people working with different healing modalities, for some, it might just be that time of introspection, of, you know, navel-gazing, of trying to figure out, like, what's happened in the past that's made you have those beliefs or made you feel a certain way about certain things. But once you start to sort of develop that muscle, that's a that's powerful shit. Because no, the normal things, and this is it exactly when when we look at things like COVID and all of those situations, the reason so many people were so terrified is because, unfortunately, there are nefarious characters that realise that so many of us are driven by our kind of almost baseline level fears and subconscious beliefs about things that we can be incredibly easily controlled. But when you understand how you form those beliefs about things and when you understand your own unique biases and traumas and all of these kinds of things it makes you resilient to all of that bullshit as well 
I think the thing that I'm striving for more than anything on a personal level is to build that emotional intelligence because every year, everything you're seeing there really resonates. Situations only have the meaning that you choose to attach mm -hmm. to them. And although we used social media as an example, you could relate that to pretty much everything. Yeah. We cannot just thrive when things are going well because the only thing certain in this life is uncertainty and yeah. there's always grenades being launched at us just when we least sort of expect yeah. it and I always say my husband he's quite stoic you know he's straight down the line mm. whereas historically I've always been up and down and actually I speak to quite a lot of other entrepreneurs in particular and it seems to to be a bit of a common trait the extreme yeah. highs and the extreme lows it's having that introspection and not accepting that it has to be your reality and and actually there is so much that we can focus on and by allowing ourselves allowing meaningless people to affect our energy we're doing ourselves a, a massive massive disservice yeah. And it's something that I'm so much better at. There's always so many more levels to master, to mm. conquer. But we, <clears throat> we we can't give our power to someone else because if we're saying that something this else, person, or, yeah. whether it's a troll on social media or whoever, is responsible for our happiness or inner peace or success, then we're giving them full control and power mm. over our lives, which is why Completely. I'm fully responsible, fully accountable for everything, even when outwardly people might argue, but surely like that's got nothing to do with you. If somebody crashes into the back of you or whatever yeah, but how it is. I respond to it has got everything to do with me. That's, exactly. that's the thing. It's just like you, you've got bugger all control about like other things going on. The ultimate control lies in how you deal with that and how you respond to that and the meaning that you assign to it. That's And, and, and yeah, that's, that's the superpower. A bit of Buddhist wisdom to finish off the yeah. podcast. Not just a pretty face deal. <laughs> I don't know about that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. Well, um, it's, I think that the more we can kind of, develop, if, if we look at everything that's going on, I mean, it's it's like the, 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 the stresses and the madness is getting more and more intense out there. And the way that people are responding is they're putting trigger warnings on things or they're trying to dampen down the expression of ideas and dampen down conversation. That is never, ever, ever going to achieve that outcome. But teaching people to sort of explore why they feel a certain way about it. Because, you know, triggers are real, but they're a gift. My God, it's the best thing. It's just like, wicked. You Now you know what you need to work on. Amazing. Let's do this. How can we do it? How can we figure it out? That's such an empowering thing. But trying to, because it's going to get to the point where we're going to have to use ESP to communicate because no one's going to be able to say anything <laughs> without the potential of upsetting someone or offending someone. Mm. And I don't think I don't think any of these things come from anyone wanting to cause offence or anything, but there is a lot of trauma in modern day life and people are affected in all sorts of different ways but teaching people these kinds of skills these very very simple things of trying to understand themselves it gives them the ultimate superpower it makes them so resilient to everything because the one thing that will happen that will be a result of all of this molly coddling and all of these multiple trigger warnings and everything else is resilience will be a thing of the past there'll be generations that will have no resilience whatsoever. And that's when you've got to worry. That's when that's when people can, you know, have nefarious levels of control over them. And that's, you know, that's possibly a conversation for another day. But such a simple thing 
that yeah, it can be painful when you when you when you shine a spotlight directly on your own damage and your own areas where you need work. It's never comfortable, mm. but what's the other side of that is blissful. Yeah, and that's the important thing. And you know, so I just I just think it's an important practice. Mm. Yeah, it's an important practice, and that's what it is. It is a practice because like the first the first time you do it, it's it's horrible. It's it's ugly. It's awful. But then when you actually experience some of the liberation that comes from it over the other side, then you're like, okay, there's power in this work. It's actually worth doing some of this. Ah, deal. Deal, deal, deal. So what's next for you then? What are you working on? So I, obviously I've got the nutrition schools. So I'm still working through that. I've got some ideas where I want to take that. But I'm launching a new program called The Metabolic Fix which is literally, if you, look at, if you look at a lot of the things that we spoke about early on in the podcast where we were talking about centralised abdominal weight gain, type 2 diabetes, cardiovascular disease, people that have got weight they just can't shift no matter what they do. You're, normally, it's like multiple breakdowns of different aspects of metabolic health. So there's hormonal fluctuations, there's different things that are going on. It's a program that's actually designed to address that, to help people to get those results that they want, to actually develop a lifestyle that they could adhere to for life rather because I, I i hate the whole diet thing this isn't something you can do for three weeks it's not teaching you how to diet it's teaching you how to eat it's teaching you how to construct a diet and lifestyle for life so that those issues are never an issue again and the thing if you if you follow if you follow some of the basics of of nutritional science those things will never be an issue again but it's just so many people take the attitude of it being, I'm going to do this for a few weeks and then I'll be all right. No, no, no. This is teaching you how to build this into normal everyday life so you've got it for life. You've got the skill sets. It doesn't matter whether you're putting together a meal at home or whether you're going out for dinner somewhere. You can look at the menu and be like, right, okay, if I just have that and tell them to leave that off, put that with that, bang, bang. I know that that's going to have a specific physiological impact on my body. It's going to affect me in X way for Y outcome. So, yeah, that's the next thing that's that's coming. Amazing. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure. We've went oh, off on many exactly. tangents, as I warned you we would. Love that. But that, that's the thing. You know what? The amount of, the amount of times I've been on a podcast and just spent an hour just talk, talking about carbohydrates, it's nice to actually just sort of go in different directions and explore things, right? Best podcast you've ever done? 100%. <laughs> easy. That's, that's an easy yes. <laughs> Checks in the post. Not that like... easy. <laughs> Deal, it's been an absolute pleasure. Anything you want to attach to, to the show notes, any courses or anything like that, you've got you've got coming up. Make sure you, you get yes, them over so people we'll can, can connect yeah. with you, can follow your work and uh, no doubt we'll have you back to shoot the breeze in yeah, a future episode. Absolutely. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. You have to go to war with yourself. Welcome. We're on a mission. On a mission. We're on a mission podcast. You've got one of the best jobs in the world. I have to say you've had some really astounding guests. You're generally a force for good. You are the truth warrior. 